Welcome to our first episode. This is Eurasia Chat Podcast with your hosts Joanna Leles and Aigerin Toluhanova. Subscribe at www.eurasianet.org. This week has been full of events for Central Asia, starting from the Pope's visit, Xi Jinping and Putin, and some border shooting that have escalated between Tajikistan and Kyrgyzstan. We will discuss all of these events in detail. Let's start with Xi Jinping's visit to Central Asia. Joanna, what can you say about this? Well, it's certainly been quite a week for Central Asia. All the things that you've mentioned and also some political dramas in Kazakhstan as usual as well. Foreign visits that we've seen in Kazakhstan and in Central Asia generally have been really interesting and All Central Asia watchers have had their eye on, I think, on one thing, particularly uh, when it comes to whether the Central Asian countries are drawing closer to China and further from Russia. Now, it's a bit of a complicated question to answer and certainly not one that you can answer just out of one visit. But I think we've seen some really interesting developments this week. So um, just to recap, one of the interesting facts that that has attracted quite a lot of uh, world attention to Central Asia is the fact that... um, Xi Jinping, the Chinese president, um, left China for the first time since before the uh, COVID-19 pandemic really got going. In fact, he hadn't been abroad since January 2020. So everyone was certainly interested to see um, him choosing Kazakhstan as his first stop uh, when he left the country. Now, um, he certainly got a red carpet welcome in Kazakhstan. And um, when it comes to the Central Asia watchers trying to see, you know, how relations are developing and whether Russia and China are rivals or allies in this region. Uh, what was really interesting to see um, was uh, Xi making a statement that was quite uh, blunt, uh, certainly in Chinese terms, um, during his meeting with uh, President Tokayev. He said that China would support Kazakhstan in terms of upholding its territorial integrity and its sovereignty. Now, that just sounds like quite a bland statement, maybe, but Given the fact that really the only threats to to Kazakhstan's territorial integrity and sovereignty are likely to emanate from its northern neighbor, i.e. Russia, that sounds like a kind of warning, a shot across the bows to Russia to, to, you know, refrain from sort of meddling in its neighbor, Kazakhstan. And of course, that comes in the context of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, Um, Ukraine being another neighbor of Russia, which, like Kazakhstan, shares a long border and has um, a large ethnic Russian minority. Although, of course, we can see many, many differences also between Ukraine and Kazakhstan. And then, of course, um, Xi headed off to uh, Samarkand in Uzbekistan to attend um, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization Summit, as did Tokayev, of course. Um, so we saw um, the presidents of Uzbekistan, of course, the host, Shavkat Mizuev, and also Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan and uh, the other members, India and Pakistan, all present at that summit, along with some other observers from from around the region. Now, the summit, of course, um, ended up taking place um, in in a a very, what's a very tense context in the Central Asian region, because right at this time, um, fighting uh, flared up between uh, Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan um, during the summit. Um, Now, we'll get to that a bit later in the podcast, I think. We saw Putin uh, and Xi um, obviously um, wanting to try and make the Shanghai Cooperation Organization much more relevant in the world, much more powerful. And they see it as a as their statement of um, their own uh, power. I mean, they kept pointing out that um, the member states were re- responsible for about a quarter of world GDP and so on. But of course, the the the, the SEO is really always punched below its weight and. 
the fact that it, it that, that they kept kind of silent about this fighting that was raging on the borders of um, Tajikistan and Kyrgyzstan during the summit really shows kind of how ineffectual it is. I mean, certainly that's my personal opinion. It, um, and what else people were, were watching um, during this, also um, a face-to-face meeting between um, Xi and Putin, a lot of interest in the Russo-Chinese relationship and the fact that it was taking place um, there in Uzbekistan, you know, uh, made it something for Central Asia watchers to watch as well. And, you know, we, we really saw what came out of that was, um, you know, Putin um, always seems to be, well, his statements about the war in Ukraine are generally bellicose, aggressive and defiant. Um, he doesn't accept any criticism over the war generally. And what was interesting was that he made a statement acknowledging that the Chinese uh, may have some concerns about that war. He actually used this word um, that that um, that. that that Russia acknowledged those concerns and they were something that could be discussed. Of course, we don't know how they went on to discuss them. That's the only um, information released to the media. So that was what we saw from this high-profile visit. And I don't know if you've got anything to add to all that, Agarim, about your impressions of the visit. Yeah, I think that um, this was certainly a very important visit to Central Asia. Uh, and I think that it's it kind of marks the moment when possibly China might become a closer partner to Central Asia and Kazakhstan in particular, because I think that um, Xi Jinping said that um, Kazakhstan is an important partner that they want to have a good relationship with. So I think that now China is kind of, at least in my personal view, is stepping into the role of Russia. Uh, with these words um, being the protector of this uh, security and stability in the region, uh, given that Russia might do something in the region, I don't know yet. Um, And I think that when uh, Xi Jinping said these words that China will protect territorial integrity and sovereignty of Kazakhstan, to me it felt like China wants to step into the role of this guarantor of stability and security in Kazakhstan in case there is some involvement from other actors mm, might happen. This probably marks some new stage of relationship between Kazakhstan and China. And I think that this will also affect how Xinjiang activism will will happen in Kazakhstan, because we have seen that the activists um, from Xinjiang um, have been protesting for, I don't know, more than 400 days or even more than that. And they've been detained, arrested and fined. They didn't get any response neither from Chinese government or Kazakh government. And I think with this uh, kind of China's um, uh, response to um, this invasion into Ukraine and saying that in Central Asia, China will always support this um, territorial integrity. It might mean that uh, there will be some, I don't know, like harsher punishment for activism in Xinjiang, at least in the future, in Kazakhstan, I mean. Coming back to Kazakhstan, actually, because we have our own political drama in Kazakhstan. Uh, Joanna, I was just curious to know, uh, because you've been working on on an article about the presidential elections in Kazakhstan. Why do you think Tokayev decided to 
run for election so early and why now? What it gives that to him and what do analysts say is the ones that you interviewed for your article? Well, yes, this is this is a good question. I mean, um, in Kazakhstan, there's been a rumor going round uh, about early parliamentary elections. Um, but um, President Tokayev sprang a bit of a surprise um, when he said that he was going to call an early presidential election as well as an early parliamentary election. And the presidential election is, in fact, imminent. Well, the parliamentary election will be in the first half of next year. Um, so he uh, made that announcement in his um, State of the Nation address. And um, we're expecting that election to happen very soon. And he, it wasn't only the election that, that uh, was the surprise that he sprang on, on the country. So it wasn't only that surprise that he sprang about the election, but he also sprang the surprise that he wanted to extend the presidential term in Kazakhstan, um, but at the same time limit presidents to holding it once. So one seven-year term of office. Um, and in fact, after that, um, Parliament has, has already um, approved all that um, and an election is, is presumably imminent. I mean, um, I have said it would be held by the end of the fall. Um, and so that really means by the end of November. Um, so um, the question of why, indeed, well, um, our listeners can check out um, my article on Eurasianet and see what analysts had to say about that. And it was quite interesting. Um, I mean, um, uh, analysts seem to have broadly, um, many of them agree that Pukayev's um, trying to keep the polit political initiative following, you know, the, the, the violence that Kazakhstan experienced in January, from which it's still traumatized. Pukayev um, has been trying to move the country on, trying to deal with that, move on, and, um, you know, has enacted a whole package of constitutional reforms that were put to the referendum and approved in spring. And um, I think, you know, um, analysts were, were certainly wondering if, uh, or certainly some believe that Tokayev is trying to keep the upper hand and make sure that he's in a position to face off any further threats to his power. Now, I mean, uh, Tokayev himself has said that that uh, violence amounted to an attempt to, to topple him via a, a coup d'etat. Certainly, most observers believe that um, forces were working against him to foment um, trouble, not just um, obviously peaceful protesters, who, uh, the way that this violence began, um, but, um, you know, certainly hostile forces um, causing violence. And so um, there seems to be some kind of consensus that Tokayev is trying to, you know, get himself reelected while he has the upper hand so that he won't have to face re-election um, for another seven years, in fact. Um, and in fact, he won't be facing re-election at all because it should be um, a single term, at least according to the scenario that he's laid out for everybody. So um, it seems certain that he he, he will be re-elected and then he should leave power in 2029. Um, and presumably, if in, he's sincere about, about keeping this single term, then that means that he'll be having to find another uh, groom, another successor for Kazakhstan. So um, it does seem to be that... Um, you know, Kazakhstan's been had some very turbulent political times over the last few years, and um, those uh, it's it's not clear whether this election will lay those to rest um, at all. That's not a given, given that um, you know uh, the future remains uncertain. The authorities have also said that um, they've written it into the um, constitution um, or the, this change that um, it can't be changed again. So it's as if, so they basically Takayev has. has imposed forever for Kazakhstan this seven-year term. Now, this what single seven-year term. But of course, we'll see how that plays out in the future. In Central Asia, all presidents have a record of tinkering with um, to stay in power. Almost all presidents um, have done that. 
So we'll see how this plays out. And of course, um, the the parliament also um, approved the renaming of um, Nur Sultan back to Astana. And I was interested to ask you about that, Aigarim, because um, I know you have, um, you know, lots of friends and family who've lived in um, Nur Sultan or do live in Nur Sultan. What do you think the feeling on the ground is about that renaming um, just three years after it was named uh, Nur Sultan after Nur Sultan Nazarbayev? Yeah, that's a good question. When when I myself heard about the news that it's going to be renamed, I I felt like it was the thing that they were going to do anyways. It's just like it was in the air, but it wasn't implemented yet. But at the same time, I felt that it's such a waste of uh, money because we could have uh, avoided it in the first place. Uh, some of my friends say that... Um, yeah, that it's a waste of money. Basically, they could have um, transferred this money to solve social problems, for example, or transport problems. Um, some of my other friends uh, who are more supportive of the government, they say that the first president deserved this uh, name and um, deserved to be to to have the capital being renamed after him. So uh, it should have stayed. And it's a shame that it's been renamed again. And others, they just don't care because they said they always um, called it Astana or Akmola and they never called it Nur Sultan. So, yeah, there is uh, like a diverse uh, range of opinions about the renaming. Yeah, I think that um, in general, the people um, have quite a mix of feelings. Some regrets, some um, say that it's the right thing to do. Some are not really, um, some are indifferent, let's say, they just care about the economical situation. And I think like the constitution all, also needs to change, right? When you rename the capital again, because I remember three years ago, uh, it was a very fast change of constitution um, to rename the capital because there was this um, one article that you actually need to ask um opinion of the people to rename the capital but they didn't ask it it was the fastest rename of the capital in the world probably uh so yeah uh, there is a like a lot of uh, jokes and memes on social media going that tokayev has uh, changed constitution so often in the in the t three months or so two times already so yeah, that's um, how Central Asia affairs are going in terms of uh, keeping the power. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, I think that I, I, I actually think the point about the consultation with the people is extremely relevant. Um, <laughs> the fact that um, during the early state, the, the very beginning, at the very beginning of Kazakhstan's political transition, when um, no Sultan Nazarbayev resigned in March 2019 and, and basically handed power to um, Tokayev, um, you know, we saw people going out onto the streets um, for months and months um, complaining that they hadn't been consulted, um, saying that they should have a political voice, um, protesting indeed about the name change of the capital. Um, and that was in the very, very first days of this uh, handover. And we saw them protesting about not being consulted about how the handover would take place. We saw them, you know, demanding their political voice. And it's very striking, I think, that earlier this year, um, Tokayev consulted people 
um, at least ostensibly, um, about the constitutional changes and then put them to a public vote. Um, now, obviously, it, it, it was kind of a rubber stamp of hundreds of changes um, by people who didn't really understand a lot of them. There was um, certainly a, a modicum of consultation and, ability, and a, a chance for people to, have, to have express their opinion. But when it comes to the latest um, changes that we're seeing, which is a, a absolutely radical for Kazakhstan, a single seven-year presidency and the name change um, back to Astana, we really haven't seen any consultation. We've again seen this kind of imposition of um, top-down governance. And it's surprising, you know, given how people have expressed their opinions over these years, um, since 2019, and in January, when people were, you know, the streets, and there were so many political grievances about this style of governance. So it's, in a way, surprising, or certainly telling that Tokayev has chosen um, this path. I mean, of course, there was a one day public consultation, I think it was, um, you know, immediately held in Astana, in Nur Sultan, about the renaming immediately and then uh, it was the very next day that parliament just voted for that and they believe that the law's already been changed to allow that to take place in in the coming well i uh, probably even days or or weeks certainly so that's that's where we stand with um with Kazakhstan and i'm sure we'll be talking about this a lot more in our future podcasts as we head into election time So let's move on to uh, latest troubles on the border between Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan. What do we know about this? Well, um, as usual, there are disputed narratives over what happened and each side blames the other. Now, we've seen um, border flare-ups on this border over many years, regular flare-ups, several times a year. And last year, this uh, a border dispute turned into a full-scale fighting in which around 50 people were killed, and um, this flare-up that's um, that's happened now um, is is acquiring that kind of scale. I mean, what what we saw was on September the fourteenth, we saw um, a, a localized clash on the border in Bakken Province, Kyrgyzstan's Bakken Province, and that was both sides blaming each other for encroachments on their territories. Um, the, the 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 Tajik saying they. The, the Kyrgyz fired without reason at Tajik border guards, while the Kyrgyz saying they were the Tajik border guards had encroached on territory that wasn't demarcated, um, that was uh, disputed, in other words. And um, it's important to mention here that the two countries have been in dispute over the border, well, basically for, for 30 odd years since the collapse of the uh, Soviet Union. And uh, uh, over all this time, they've only managed to demarcate about half of their borders and um, so these clashes occur regularly of course it's um, obviously can't be taken out of context I mean the context of such clashes is also the fact that um, these borders in the Fergana Valley the densely populated Fergana Valley with its kind of patchwork of ethnic groups they they kind of winding through different villages and um, villages where Tajiks live, where Kyrgyz live. And of course, this doesn't only go for those groups. There are similar situations with um, Uzbeks all around the Fergana Valley, Uzbek-Tajik border as well. But it's specifically on the Kyrgyz-Tajik border where these clashes are are now taking place so regularly. Um, and, um, you know, I'd urge uh, our listeners to go and look in, in the Eurasian archive to, to find out why this happens, because there's some great reporting in there. Our correspondents were down there last April, May, just after the, the serious clash in which about 50 people died. And it really, the reporting really explains um, 
you know, just how convoluted this is. For example, the the local people were, were showing them that um, if you if you drive across one minute you're driving towards an intersection and you've got Tajikistan on the left and Kyrgyzstan on the right. And as soon as you cross that intersection, it actually is the other way around. There's no border to show people where these countries um, start and finish because it's not demarcated. And um, in another example, the correspondent recounted how um, they were standing on a street in a village and a, um, a man jumped over some stones to show that one minute he's in Tajikistan, one minute and the next minute in Kyrgyzstan. And of course, none of that's perhaps official because this is not demarcated. But um, the reporting really explains just how convoluted this matter is, how local, um, a small conflict, say, over water, um, over resources can set off um, a conflagration, which is what's been happening now as far as we as far as we can see. And indeed, it was last year, it was a sort of conflict over control of a water sluice that um, began that that violence. So um, I think we'll be returning to this topic in future episodes as we see how this plays out. But um, it's also worth pointing out that the Shanghai Corporation Organization Summit was taking place at exactly on the day that the, the, the violence really started to escalate on the Kyrgyz-Tajik border. And that, that, that organization really came across as ineffectual um, uh, without you know, continuing to talk about the Shanghai spirit and so on, um, and the spirit of cooperation and boosting security while fighting's raging between two member states is quite astonishing. The other story that's been in the news and that we've reported on Eurasianet in recent times has been the deportation of um, Afghan refugees or asylum seekers from Tajikistan. Agumin, what can you tell us about that? Yeah, that's a pretty uh, disturbing story, I would say, because we know that President uh, of Tajikistan, Emomali Rahmon, has uh, publicly stated that he welcomes Afghan uh, people. And according to number of from Afghan embassy in Tajikistan, there were up to 10,000 uh, refugees in the country in the beginning of the year. And now uh, we have seen that some sources say that there have been deportations of Afghan refugees. At least 200 were deported and uh, some of them uh, were deported without any court, any uh, official uh, procedure which actually caused um, UNHCR, United Nations uh, Higher Commissioner for Refugees, um, to react, uh, which is rare. Uh, but they did react, saying that Tajikistan doesn't follow the um, international agreements and that it should uh, protect and follow the refugee uh, international refugee law and that um, UNHCR has uh, recorded a multiple a uh, number of times when uh, refugees were deported and that their lives are put at risk. And there have been a case of a family um, being deported with three children included back to Afghanistan, uh, which um, I guess under Taliban rule now it means it's very dangerous to come back. In general, the issue of refugees is quite sad to follow anywhere in Central Asia. And uh, given that Tajik president has publicly um, welcomed them, but somewhere behind the scenes, they're being deported silently. Um, I think this story needs some international attention and people need to pay attention on what's going on there behind the scenes. Yeah, absolutely. I'd agree with that. 
We should urge our listeners to check out the website, www.eurasianet.org, for uh, reporting on the stories we've discussed um, this week in the podcast and much, much more. Yes. Thank you for listening to our first episode. This has been Eurasia Chat Podcast with your hosts, Algerian Peruhanova and Joanna Leles. Thank you. Thank you and subscribe at www.eurasianet.org.